1775. Most of y'all, when I say that, you may know what happened on that date. This silversmith, who, uh, who to most people was just an ordinary man, uh, awoken late to hear of an oncoming enemy attacking. What he could have done is simple. He could have simply minded his own business and took care of his own. Instead, he jumps on his horse, and he begins to ride amongst his countrymen and just tell them the enemy is coming. At one point in his ride, he rolls up on an enemy blockade in the road. And he could have stopped. In fact, if we're being honest, most of us at that point in our journey would have stopped. But he eluded those soldiers in the road and kept on his track so that everyone around him could hear about what was going to happen. You see, he had risk on his breath. He had risk in his life. He didn't know if when he left his home he would ever return or see his family ever again. But he rode April 18th, 1775. And thus Paul Revere is known to us because he took a risk. We talked about the Wright brothers. We talked about Paul Revere. And the reason we can talk about them is this. History is always belonging to those who risk. History belongs to those who risk. Today we live in a strange world. Today there are so many people around our world that have never once heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never once in their lifetime. In fact, I heard somewhere that 100,000 children and adults will die in India today from hunger-related diseases. And of those 100,000, 1% has heard the gospel. It leaves us with this eerie, gut-wrenching thing in us that calls us to risk something, to go somewhere, to do something for Jesus. I... There's this argument in Christian faith, and I want you to hear it from the stage, that your neighbors don't know Jesus, and that is an absolute truth. And I pray that you'll go to your neighbor, but don't let that be the excuse of your life that someone else will go. The same should be true of this. I believe that God is calling people from this body of believers to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus. I believe God's calling people from Quail Creek to go. And you may be saying, listen, I I haven't even told my neighbors. Go home and tell your neighbors so that you can be less convicted to go across seas. Because people need to hear about Jesus. There's this place on the map, 10 latitude by 40 latitude, north of the equator. It goes right across um, the Asian countries, across India, across all that. It's called the 1040 window. And inside of that 1040 window, 1% of people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is also 90% of the world's population. It should startle us a little bit that we have lived a whole life moved by things that really have no movement. I'm a a, a sports fanatic. I love sports. And I've shared it from the stage, my love of sports. And I'm moved when my teams win something. And those of y'all that know the teams I root for, I am sorely disappointed more often than not. But listen, I'm moved when they win. I cheer for them. I buy new stuff about them. But when are we going to be moved by the things that hold eternal matter? 
If we really believe there is a heaven to be had for those that possess the life of Jesus Christ in them, when will we be so moved that we start to share that with someone else? History always belongs to the risk takers. My dad and I went some time ago now to India. Um, We went with a group of other pastors from Oklahoma, and we preached these pastors' teaching times, kind of like a mini-seminary. We were given a, a source to come with and to write about, and we had to write out our sermon. And then the Indians on that side wrote them down in Hindi, and they gave them out to these pastors, and they said, here's the sermon you're about to hear. And all of those pastors would take my sermon in Hindi and just set it on the floor and listen to an American preaching in a foreign tongue and, a, and an interpreter sharing what was on my heart. And all that time as, as we're there in India, it's amazing. And then as we're ending like our time in India, my dad gets sick. And he just gets ill. And I don't know if you've ever been somewhere foreign and get sick, but it's crazy. Like I'm sitting here watching my dad going, we need to go to a hospital, but should we go? And the missionary that was with us said, oh, you have to go, Pastor, to this hospital. It's the best anywhere in the world. And we're going, okay. So we get to this hospital, and, and as we're sitting there, the doctors are amazing. They're fantastic. Their technology is great. And it's just amazing to watch. And then the missionary comes in, he sits down with us, and he says, I want you to know why this hospital's different. This hospital was started by an American missionary who came to India and had compassion on the hurting people and said, we can make a difference. And she trained the first generation of doctors and sent them to school. And they came back here. And the next generation of nurses, and they came back here. And then God built upon that because of one American missionary woman who had a heart for people. History belongs to those who risk. Matthew chapter 14, starting verse 22 We pick up right in the middle of Jesus' ministry and in the life of Peter. Last week we talked about Peter was a fisherman. We know that he was older. We know that he was married. He had a mother-in-law. We know a lot about Peter, that he gave everything to follow after Jesus. And now in Matthew 14, Peter's been around Jesus' ministry for a while. He's seen Jesus do things that no one else in his life has done. He's never seen what Jesus has done. And so, I mean, already he's kind of blown away by Jesus himself. He's like, man, this guy's different. He does things I've never seen. He talks in ways I've never heard. And so we pick up there in in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Jesus has just preached a long sermon. He's now fed 5,000 with very little of anything. They have five loaves and two fish, and he feeds 5,000. And so... I mean, at this point, everybody's eating, but everybody's still there. And Jesus says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. So it is Jesus against 5,000, and the 12 he has now put on the boat to get away. says this, verse 23, After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. I just want you to imagine this moment, because I think we always put this walking on water moment in terms of Peter that we're about to see follow after God in a radical way. But 5,000 people are all gone now. 
which is a miracle unto itself, right? But Jesus there praying, he's alone. And it says in verse 24, but the boat was already over a mile from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them. They had every intention to be close to Jesus, but the wind and the waves have pushed them out about a mile. Now they're completely separated from Jesus, who is still on the mountain. And it says about three in the morning, he came towards them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid, um, and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught a hold of him, and said to him, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got out into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. Separation from Jesus is always turbulent and fearful. When we start to walk on our own path, we start to experience things that are turbulent and fearful in our lives. And I don't know if you've ever been there where you've made a risk in your life and you feel all alone and isolated. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you've gone to sleep eating your fears. Maybe you felt that before. You've laid there and you've cried or you've wondered how is this going to change? And you wake up and it's still there. Anybody? And so the disciples, they're out in the middle of the, the water. And it doesn't give us the context of their conversation until they see Jesus. But it is still hitting them wind and waves constantly up until 3 in the morning. So all night long, they're getting rocked and tossed about. These guys are fishermen, but I don't know if you've ever been on a small boat when the winds and waves come I don't care how much sea legs you have, it's turbulent, and it's violent, and it's three in the morning. That's why none of them are asleep at this point. They're holding on to the boat, and it's rocking them back and forth, and they're just going, what is going on when out of nowhere they see something on the water? At this point, they don't communicate this with Jesus. In fact, what they go to is what we would go to, fantasy. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. I mean, I'm sure they've seen lots of things by this point. And, and the boat's rocking, and the last thing they think is, here's a man walking out to us on the water. The boat's rocking, and they go, it's a ghost. And it says what all mainly men would do in the middle of a boat at 3 a.m. in the morning. They cry out. Ah! The next guy, ah! Next go, oh, I don't know. They're all crying out, ah! And out of all of the cries, over the sound of the wind, over the waves, we hear the words from Jesus saying, have courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. You know what doesn't pop up after that moment until the very end of the story? The wind and the waves. Because at this point, while the boat's rocking, they're looking at a man walking on water. 
Never again in history would we see this moment of clarity that Jesus, a man, would walk out on water. They haven't seen this in their lifetime. They're fishermen. They've been in a boat all their lives. Never once has one of their fellow fishermen gone, hey, guys, I missed the boat. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm here. Woo. <laughs> sorry I missed the boat. This has never happened. And so when they see something walking out in the water, it's 3 a.m. They're tired. They're worn out. They're wet. They're maybe sick at this point because not all these guys in the boat are fishermen. Mm. You ever been with somebody that's seasick? Bless. Right? Oh, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine, right? I mean, there's reaches that point that if you throw up, I'll throw up, right? And at this point, they're all like, okay, please let this stop. Something's got to take place. It's got to die down at some point. Fishermen, do not go out on boats when the winds are going to come. Jesus has sent them out. And now they're in the worst place at the worst time with the worst people. And here they are stuck in the middle of a storm a mile out from shore. And I really believe the last thing that the disciples were thinking about at this point was Jesus. I really think at this point, they just want to live. They're being battered. They're being torn. They're fearful. And so when Jesus shows up, he reminds them of two things that they need to remember. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Our spiritual response to the obstacles in our life should always be and is courage and bravery. I want to identify what that looks like today. First is courage. Courage is a willingness to go into a fight regardless of the outcome. You ever been around a person like this? That they, they may know that their outcome is going to be doom, but they run into the fight anyway. They're like, hey, I mean, we saw the faces of these people on 9-11, didn't we? That they saw the outcome, but ran into the buildings anyway. That is courage. Bravery is the ability to confront pain, danger, or attempts of intimidation without any feeling of fear. That's bravery. So Jesus is trying to call to them to do something different because they're lost in this moment. They're more lost in the waves and in the wind than they are in the moment. And Jesus doesn't want them to miss this moment. I mean, here's Jesus walking on turbulent water. I mean, we, we like to think that like, as Jesus walks, there's this perfect level plane, right? But he walks out and he's just like, hey, I'm not afraid. He sees the guys a ways out and he hears them screaming, it's a ghost! And he, he must have gone, ugh. I know it's, oh, he didn't look at his watch. Anyways, um, he's like, I know it's early, but, oh, come on, guys. It's just like, hey, guys, stop. Just, just have courage. It's, it's me. Don't be afraid. And, you know, the natural response is this. The natural response of you and I would be to go, okay, there's Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Get to the boat. Hey, guys, make, make room for Jesus. Come on, Jesus. And they might have been doing that, but there's one guy in the boat. 
that sees a risk that must be taken. And Peter goes, hey, if it's you, ask me to come out to you on the water. You ever imagine this moment, what the other disciples were thinking? They're going, this guy's an idiot. And Jesus goes, come on, come on. I, I just see Jesus stopping, doing this number. <laughs> this isn't going to work. All right, come on, buddy. Let's do this. Peter has this moment of risk, this moment of, hey, if Jesus is out there, let's all make this happen. So he, he gets out of the boat, and he goes, <laughs> I can't believe I'm walking on water right now. He's like, this is awesome. He starts walking. I don't know the distance he gets. It doesn't say, and Peter thus walked three steps and thine stopped. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says he gets out of the boat and it says he starts walking. So he's walking on the water towards Jesus and he's just like, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, who knows what it was, but the wind blows in his face. And he goes, huh, ooh. That's a big wave. That one is too. And all of a sudden he feels ankle deep. And that moment, he doesn't know where Jesus is anymore. But I like to think as Peter gets out of the boat, Jesus goes, he tried. He starts walking. Because Jesus knows what's going to happen next. He knows Peter's attempt because he can see Peter's faith. And as Peter starts to sink, it says Jesus grabs him and holds him up. You imagine that moment? Great risk. Because if Jesus doesn't grab him, men don't go to the bottom of the ocean floor, the Sea of Galilee floor, and survive in the middle of a storm. In fact, you don't get out on a boat in the middle of a storm. You stay on shore so you don't die. And so Peter just says, Lord, uh, help me. Verse 29, come, he said. Climbed out of the boat, and Peter started walking on water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught a hold of him. And he said to him something that I hope that we'll get today. He simply says this, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the Son of God. Peter got out of the boat, y'all. I mean, don't you think that took some faith, right? I mean, didn't Jesus see that Peter had, I mean, a little bit of faith? Why would Jesus say that to him? I, I mean, would you have gotten out of the boat? <laughs> I'd have been like, no, no. Waiters, right? Kaploosh. Hey, Jesus, what's up? But not out of the boat, not walking on water kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's crazy to us, right? Like, that's, that's big faith to us. But see, here's the key. What we believe are big steps, God tends to look in view of his steps. And so while Peter might have thought, Lord, I've walked five steps on the water, Jesus went, yeah, but you could have walked 40. You should have walked 100. We should have walked back to shore. Don't you get it, Peter? Your faith, man. You, you are more concerned with the storm than you were with my eyes. 
could have made it all the way to me. We could have skipped back in. Instead, you sunk. Because your faith was as strong as the wind. That's us, right? Like we, we have great faith when we go to moments that are clarity moments. I'll give you one coming up. VBS for our kids. Student camp for our students. Maybe it's revivals that come to our church. Moments of clarity, moments where you get a preacher like a Mike Satterfield on the stage and he, he sings to you and preaches like, I mean, just chocolate thunder. I love Mike Satterfield. And in these moments, as we, we hear those, we have these great moments where we're like, man, if, if Jesus said to walk on water, I'd walk right now. And I go, here's a baptismal. And you're like, well, <laughs> I mean, that's not real water. I'm talking about a sea. Okay, let's go to Medi Park. No, I'm talking a real sea, right? Like, there's all these moments that we tell people like, well, I would do something for Jesus, but it's got to be in my context at my time and the way I want it to be done. That's where Peter was. He wanted to walk on water. He just wanted to watch the wind as well instead of Jesus. So Peter was moved by Jesus to have courage initially. However, Peter lost his bravery due to the storm. I want you to hear something today that I hope that you'll keep on your mind. Doubt eats bravery and courage for breakfast. Our doubts delete our courage and bravery to follow after Jesus. Now I want you to know something. If you're a Christian and you're in this room, if you have never doubted, I would dare say that you've never refined your faith or challenged your faith. It's going to happen, but I want to tell you, you can't stay there. Peter couldn't rewound to that moment and said, you know, remember the time I did that before and I, I, I was sunk in the water? I'm going to stay in this time. I, I'm just going to be like, hey, Jesus, I believe that you. Why don't you come on and get in the boat? Instead, we get this moment where where Peter starts to see something different from Jesus. Here's why I know. Who heard the conversation between Jesus and Peter in the water where he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's only two people I know of. One is Jesus. The other is Peter. How does this get written in the Bible? Peter shares his story. You imagine that for a second? To get back in the boat, Peter's more than drenched at this point from where he's already been. He gets in, and who knows if he's been choking on you know this water now? <laughs> and Jesus goes, "All right, quiet water." And it just goes, Poof. and they're all just standing there. It just says, "Man, they just start to worship Jesus. You really are the Son of God." Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. There's one guy in the boat that's seen the Son of God face to face. And he's challenged him. He's challenged him on the greatest risk of his life. And Jesus acknowledges the risk, but then he challenges the faith. I believe that Peter shows us why being a risk taker was worth it. Because no other disciple has this moment with Jesus where he refines their faith. 
except for Peter in the middle of the water. You know how long that question must have stuck in Peter's mind? You have little faith. You have little faith. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You imagine in the midst of the crowd in the next few moments in Scripture as Jesus is teaching, Peter may be standing there and going, how do I grow my faith? How do I have less doubt? How do I grow my faith? How do I have less doubt? And maybe that may be where you are today. Maybe you showed up today and you just said, I've tried. I've tried, but I failed, and so I'm not going to try anymore. Well, I'll just tell you, that's not Peter's story. And that shouldn't be yours either. You see, faith is not about trying. Faith is not about one risk. It's about a lifetime of risk. It's about a lifetime of giving everything you have for something that's greater than you. Risk is going to come. Times where you fail are going to come. Times where you're going to have the question, how do I grow my faith and how do I have less doubt, has to come. Here's why. History belongs to the risk takers. No other disciple is mentioned in this story except one who risks everything to step out of a boat, not even knowing what's going to happen next, in front of a Savior who knows exactly what's going to happen next. That moment that Jesus is praying up on the hillside, all the 5,000 are gone. And Jesus starts to walk down, and he has to go in his mind. All right, Lord. All right, Father. Peter's going to try, isn't he? I want to use him mightily. Let's go. And as he's walking out on the water, I kind of wonder if he's not going, Peter, I'm about to change the world. And you're going to be at the center of it. Because years from now, years from now, in Amarillo, Texas, there's going to be people from every walk of life, from every background, from every place. And in that service, they're going to hear about a man who stepped out of a boat and risked and failed, but God used ultimately to build his church. So step out of the boat, Peter. And so as he's walking, I just kind of see it on Jesus' face, this resolve of, here we go. Come on, Peter, you can do this. Come on. As he walks up, no one prompts Peter to say anything. Jesus doesn't go, all right, Peter, do your thing. Peter looks, and he doesn't even know what's happening. But he turns, and he sees Jesus, and he goes, okay. Hey, if it's you, ask me to walk on water towards you. changes history it just changes history as a fisherman steps out of his boat at the worst possible time walking towards someone he's still learning from and risks everything a married man a man who carries his family's future an older established guy who if he dies in this purpose his family loses everything. Says to a Savior who he doesn't even know is going to die for his sins ultimately, if it's you, call me out onto the water and ask me to walk towards you. And history was made. Because Peter was willing to risk. Ultimately, guys, Jesus is our source for courage and bravery 
through faith. Peter got the first part of his story right, but forgot the, le- the next step. He said, Jesus, if you command me to walk out on the water, I can do it. And Jesus goes, you're right, come on. I want to ask you a question. Are you risking your life for the gospel? You may say this, hey Kyle, listen, that's, that's an awesome sermon. And that's, a, that's an awesome little note of my risking my life for the gospel. Yeah. Okay, buddy, I still have to get up and go to work tomorrow. I still have a family to maintain. I, you know, I still have a mortgage to pay, you know. I got to buy school supplies for my kids. Come out. I mean, you're talking risk for the gospel. I'm talking just survive. Are we going to die in our religion? Ultimately, at the end of our lives, will we die in our religion or in our devotion? You see, we make that choice today and the next day and the next day. I don't believe that God is going to applaud those that were uniquely religious. I believe he always applauds those that are devoted. My question to you is this. What is undone in your life and those around you that God has called you to maintain and change? What if God is calling you to be the change that changes our world and you just haven't made the risk? You're still sitting in the boat. You're still afraid. You may be sick. Whatever it is, you're just saying, I can't call someone else, ask someone else to do it, just not me. And God has always been calling you. As a child, I can remember seeing people all the time go onto the mission field. You remember that? used to be a thing that out of our churches we would see people go all the time. And I'm not just talking like on a a short-term mission trip like we're doing today with our church, you know, Israel and, and others. I'm talking people from our church that have gone, I'm giving my whole life to this. I remember seeing that as a child. People just like popcorn in our church. Kapow, kapow. We would support them and we'd see them go and spend the rest of their lives in, in places like Uganda or Afghanistan. I believe the reason we're not seeing it in our current generation is because the risk takers have all left and the rest are just boat people and God's called us to risk He's called us to step out of our boats onto stormy waters and to keep our eyes fixed on him. So I'm going to ask you a question today. Are you ready to risk it all for the sake of the gospel? This is the question that started with Peter and is still being asked today. Is our faith large enough that the wind doesn't change us. I'm asking you to risk. I'm asking you to go beyond what's normal into an extraordinary walk. I'm asking you to give everything you have for Jesus so that he can use you in a way that you've never asked him for before. And perhaps at the end of your life, you'll go out in such a flurry of grace and glory in Christ that the only difference between here and heaven will be Jesus will be face to face with you. It takes risk. Be strong. Be brave. Remember, Jesus is always 
always there. And he wants to encounter your life today. It's time to step out on the water. It's time to risk for him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray, Lord, that you would show us how we might risk our everything for the sake of you. God, lead us and guide us. Lord, correct us when we have made security or livelihood our aim and our goal. Lord, we want to be changed by you. We want to be led by you. So, Father, help us to risk. Lord, remind us that history always belongs to those that risk. And, God, we want your name to be known. We want you to just live passionately through our lives. And so, God, help us to risk for you. Lord, let us be changed by you today. Lord, remind us that all has relationship attached. Peter knew you. In fact, he says, if it's you, call me out onto the water with you. It's all in relationship. So, Father, I pray for those that don't have that relationship with you, that want to risk, that are willing to say, I would risk everything to say I belong to Jesus. God, we want to see you do amazing things in our lifetime. So let it start now with the risk we're willing to put forward. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.